0: In 1997, I had just graduated high school, and I was invited by a friend of ours to go and do 10 camps back-to-back as a part of ABCO, American Baptist Churches of Oregon. Part of that meant that I had to go and spend uh, two weeks training before the camps would, would take place. Now, the camps were located in four different states, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and Montana, and the training was held in Post Falls, Idaho. As we went to training we learned a lot of different things. We learned how to uh, care for the, the emotional needs of others uh, because these camps ranged in age from five-year-old students to 35-year-old handicapped adults. We learned how to identify problems. Uh, we learned how to uh, problem-solve. We learned how to look for trouble. Uh, We also had to learn a lot of different types of of strategies for ministry and and, uh, different areas. So we had to learn how to, uh, CPR was a part of what we had to do. Learn how to do first aid was a part of our training because we had a lot of uh, different things with playground equipment and zip lines and all that. But each camp that we served in inevitably had a pool. And so part of our training was that we had to at least be proficient with knowing how to respond in the event of an emergency in the pool or the water. They had lifeguards that were always on, on duty, but with that many kids, it was always good to have some extra hands. And so we learned how to tread water. We learned how to go to the bottom of a pool and pull a brick up and swim with that brick. We learned how to use the flotation devices around us as help, as a tool. We learned how to use the pole to reach in and grab kids and those types of things to pull them to the side to safety. But one of the things that we learned, probably more than any other lesson that we learned along the way, and it was at each uh, area was that we had to learn to be aware of those who might be in trouble. Because what we found out was oftentimes, people who are in trouble won't realize that they're in trouble until it's too late. For instance, with these kids, these swimmers, you get these eight and nine-year-old kids that are enthusiastic and excited, and they'll have even likely passed a swim test, where they'll have swam from one side of the pool to the next, but inevitably, in their excitement, they'll go onto the diving board, and they'll jump off into the deep end. And they'll gasp a bunch of air and take in some water as well, and then they panic, and they begin to flail their arms. And so we learned early on to identify problems because people who are in need don't often realize they have need until it's too late, And we learned that throughout the entire camp. Always be aware, always be vigilant, always be looking out. Go to those people who have trouble, go to those people who have need. Be ready to go and get help, be ready to go and assist, be ready to go and involve yourself uh, however you can. And that's what we're gonna talk about today is what that looks like in the life of the church. We started our At My Church series five weeks ago and we looked at really who we are as a church. We identified early on that we weren't going to do a series on our mission and on our vision because Jesus came and he shared a vision and a mission for the church in general. He talked about the universal church, the Catholic church. That word Catholic literally means universal or one body. That in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six 36 and 37, Jesus identifies our mission when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we readily identify that as the church, we have a common mission. And then Jesus again gave us our vision in Matthew 28, verse 19, when he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey these things. And surely I am with you always to the end. So we again readily identify that he has given us a collective vision as the church or one church, that our mission is to love God and to love people and our vision is to go and to find people, meet them where they're at, help them encounter Jesus and grow them up as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But the other thing that we learned was that within churches like ours, and this is true from the earliest churches, when you look at Rome, and you look at uh, Corinth, and you look at Thessalonica, you look at Laodicea, you could look at any of the early churches, though there's a common mission and a common vision, the DNA is often unique in these churches. The identity of these churches is often very different than the other churches. And that is nowhere greater found than in the epistles. Paul's letters to the early churches where he's addressing specific needs or specific interests with these specific locations and these churches that are applicable for each of us today. So we identified then, if our mission is to love God and love people, and our vision is to go and make disciples of all nations, what is our identity? What sets us apart? What makes us at our church unique? And what we identified is we believe that we exist, that our identity is to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever that at my church, we exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. We looked at the Gospel of John chapter four, the Samaritan woman, and how when she came to know Jesus, it went from a Jew to a sir to Jew and from a Jew to, to a, you it know, must be a prophet from prophet to the Messiah and you are the one who radically changed my life. It changed everything, her encounter. Week two of our series, we began investigating and identifying what we know now as our core four. As a church, we have a lot of values. There are things that we care a lot about as a staff and as a leadership team and in each area of ministry. There are values that drive us. But collectively, spanning all the ministries, there are four core values, what we call our core four, that drive us in who we are, in being a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. The first core value that we looked at was that at our church, we gather. And that we're committed to gathering for a a celebration service, a party. And three really real reasons that we gather. The first we talked about was we gather to encourage one another and to be mutually encouraged. The second was that we gather to exalt the name of God. We gather to worship him collectively. And the third was that we gather to equip one another through the public reading of scripture and through discipleship and various ministries that we have at our church. And so we talked about the first of our core four being that we gather as a church. The second of our core four during the third part of our series was Pastor Richard, who talked about at our church, we grow. And he looked at not only why we grow, but how we grow. That we grow relationally, that we grow in our knowledge and in our understanding of the word of God, of the character of God, that we grow in our ministries, that we grow in our faith. And Pastor Richard talked about the value and the importance of how we grow and what that looks like. And then last week, we identified the third of our core four, which is that we give. Not only that we give, but that in our church, we want to be known for our radical generosity. And we looked at how we give and gave three different types of areas to think about giving. The first being that of our time, that each one of us can give of our time. The second, that each one of us has a talent that we can give. And the third, we talked about giving of our treasures. And today, we're going to wrap up our four core values or our core four with that of Go. That at my church, we go. I want to invite you right now to grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, You can do one of two things: one, you can raise your hand, and one of our ushers is coming forward. They have Bibles; they would love to give you a Bible. These Bibles are yours to have and to keep. We would that everybody would have a Bible in their hands and ready to follow along, to take notes, uh, write down questions. These are a gift to you to keep, and so we just invite you to bring them back with you each week. And then in a few moments, the words will come up on the screen behind me as you're looking for the Gospel of Luke, if you flip halfway through your Bible and you start going to your right, you'll run into a collection of names after the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. And those names are Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you find John or Acts, you've gone too far. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 today. And uh, as as always, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time learning together. We're going to identify the culture and the context, because I believe that the more we understand culture and context, the better we are able to understand and apply the Word of God to our lives. And so why don't we start off uh, praying together this morning as we jump in. Father, as we spend these next few moments together collectively looking at your Word, your inerrant perfect, flawless, inspired, active, living word. I pray that you would meet us where we're at and take us where you want us to go. Father, ready our hearts, illuminate our minds, and open us up to what you want us to experience and encounter today. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in this time. And I may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to I want to to spend a few minutes together kind of setting up the background for where we're going to be today in Luke chapter 14, all in preparation of understanding why the fourth of our core values is that of going, that in our church we go. In Luke chapter 14, if you want to follow along, these words are not going to come up on the screen, but I'm going to read the first six verses together, and I'm going to break it down a little bit, and then we're going to talk through it. One Sabbath day, the Sabbath being Saturday, or the day of rest, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, or the religious leaders. And the people were watching him closely. Hold on to that. I want to talk about that in a moment. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law. So not only were the Pharisees there, but there were religious leaders there, lawyers. It is, permit, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? I mean, come on. If your son or your cow falls into a pit, I like the parallel, your son or your cow, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. What's going on is that Jesus is new on the scene and he's growing in popularity. He's recognized widely as a rabbi or a teacher of the law. He's got a reputation of being somewhat of a zealot, and he's very, very, very different in his approach and even in his teachings than these religious leaders and these experts in the law. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, were responsible for working with the religious lawyers in keeping track of the 613 laws of Moses, the do's and the don'ts, the regulations. And what they would do then is if you didn't follow these laws, it was either an act of sin that you would have to make right on, or it was an act of rebellion, also known as a heresy, where you were deliberately teaching against the laws of Moses, which was punishable by death. So I want you to take notice then that Jesus is invited to eat at the home of these Pharisees and these religious leaders. And I want you to take notice then also that there are, are more than just Jesus and these Pharisees there. But there was a man there who had been invited to have dinner with them that, was, that was, uh, had an ailment that we know today as dropsy. Dropsy is an ailment where there is a collection of fluid around the ankles or the extremities or the neck, and it's usually caused by a failure in the kidneys or in the heart. Why this is unique and interesting is because Pharisees were all about their reputation. They were all about building a monument uh, that was beautiful that people would look at and would be uh, you know, admiring them for. And so it was rare, if ever, that they would associate with, with lesser people. So the fact that there was this man there who had these ailments is, is no surprise to Jesus, but it would have been a surprise to the community, And what they were doing then was they were testing Jesus. And it says that they were looking for opportunities. They watched Jesus closely. They were looking for opportunities to catch Jesus working on the Sabbath, which would have been an act of sin against God's law. Not only were they looking to catch Jesus in an act of sin against God's law, but they were hoping for an opportunity for Jesus to get caught teaching against the very law of honoring the Sabbath, which we find all the way back In Exodus, with the original Ten Commandments, you shall honor the Sabbath or keep the Sabbath holy. And Jesus then sees this man with dropsy. He sees this ailment and he heals this man. But he turns it around on him and he says, is it really wrong to work on the Sabbath? I mean, which one of you, if your kid or your cow fell in a pit, wouldn't go after them and make every effort to save them? And having no answer, they remain silent Jesus sent this man away and he continued. What he noticed then over the next few verses, if you want to read it for yourself, is that there's a jockeying of position. There are people seated at this table and they are each apparently trying to take a higher seat at the table. One closer to the head of the table where the master of the ceremonies is at where this Pharisee is at. They're jockeying for position and they're looking to climb the social ladder. They're looking to climb the religious ladder or they're looking to climb the political ladder. Jesus sees what's going on and he speaks a word of advice. He talks to them about humility. He talks to them about positioning and he uses language like those who want to be first will be last and those who are last shall be first and he talks about a great banquet and those who will be seated in honor. Now, that's where we pick up together in verse 15 of chapter 14. We're going to read through this together, and we're going to stop, and we're going to spend some time learning as we go. Hearing this, what Jesus said about the seat of honor, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. This man sitting at the table is likely a Jew, this man sitting at the table has some preconceived ideas about what Jesus was talking about. Clearly, he must be talking about God's elect, the, those chosen from Israel, those whom God delivered from the hands of Pharaoh out of Egypt and promised through Abraham to continue to bless from generation to generation. And so what they're concerned about is the bloodline. They're looking at their lineage and their heritage. And as Jesus is talking, they're thinking that they have it all put together and they're positioned for this type of honor at the seat of honor. And so they presume on this conversation, this man then says, What an honor it will be for those to be seated in a place of honor in the kingdom of God. But what he really means is, I've got a ticket to ride, I'm in. I'm grave. I've got the right blood through my, through my veins, flowing through my veins. And so Jesus, I got this. But here's what Jesus does. He takes this opportunity to teach. And he speaks in the form of a parable or a story, which is about how 50% of how Jesus teaches is through what they would know as modern parables or stories. And he says this in verse 16. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. So a couple of things that we need to talk about as we read this. The first is this great feast. This was not an uncommon practice. This was pretty commonplace to have a celebration. They would make a party of every opportunity they could. They would celebrate weddings. In fact, we see Jesus' first miracle taking place at the wedding of Canaan, right? Where Jesus goes in and they run out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes concerned and says, you've got to help. And he says, woman, my time hasn't come. But he not only honors his mother, he honors the master of the ceremonies and he turns water then into wine and not just any wine but choice wine fine wine the tastiest expensive wine and people are celebrating and these celebrations would often last six days they would be great banquets that would draw people into community that would draw people in for food They would draw people in for wine and celebration. It was a way of life for them. So as Jesus is talking about a great banquet, understand it's very different than what we do today. But everyone hearing this knows exactly what Jesus is referring to. The second thing that Jesus does is he talks about the master who sends out an invitation. Now there's two types of invitations we need to look at. Very similar to what we might do today. Where the first invitation is a save the date. An invitation would go out, and it would be publicized to whomever was invited, and it was a save the date. And it wasn't even necessarily about the date, but it was a preparation invitation. Be prepared. My master has invited you. A banquet is coming up, so do whatever you need to do to get ready to come to this, and then when the preparations have been made and the party is about to begin, I will come back and I will get you. That was the second invitation. The second invitation, which we're about to read about, is that, the master's servant would go door to door and offer a personal invitation at the original invitation and say, the party started, you gotta get there. So let's check this out. In verse 17, it says, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And I would, if, if you would, I'd love to have you circle or, or make a point to underline the idea there that they were making excuses. We're going to come back to that. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I- I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I, I now have a wife, so I can't come. <laughs> this Master of the Ceremonies is excited to host this banquet, sends out who knows how many invitations on the front end, preparing people, getting them ready for the official invitation. And he puts a lot of work on the back end into getting ready for this celebration, getting the food prepared, purchased and prepared, getting out the wine and setting the tables and getting everything ready for this banquet. And this servant then goes door to door and begins to offer the formal invitation, which was the second of the two invitations, and he begins to encounter at least three excuses. The first is, hey, I, uh, I bought some land and I think I'm going to go inspect it. And the second is, I got five pairs of oxen and I'm going to go see if they work. And the third is one that we may or may not be able to identify with, guys, and that he says, I got a wife. If you think that these are stupid excuses, it's because they are. Every one of them. I mean, when was the last time you bought property or a house without inspecting it first? The way that it works today, to my knowledge, is there's an open house. You show up, you like the house. You make an arrangement with the real estate agent to go and look at the house a second time. Or in my case, third, fourth, and fifth time you then prepare an offer the offer is submitted to the, the the seller the seller either counters or accepts or declines the offer and then an inspector comes in and goes through the house with you to let you know what's right with the house what's wrong with the house then you settle on how you're going to go about mitigating any anything that needs to be fixed then you go to closing 45 days later you put down a down payment sign papers and guess what you're on the hook for 30 years congratulations you now have a house So if it sounds silly that the guy says, I bought some property and I need to go check it out, it is. And the second one, when was the last time you heard of a farmer not bothering to go to an auction to actually investigate the cattle, but just sending some money and saying, just buy some cows for me? That's ridiculous. You go and you make sure that you're getting what you paid for and that it works in advance. And the third, it's a little more understandable. The guy says, look, 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 look. A party, I'm in. It sounds exciting. All the food I can eat, fine wine, six days? Are you kidding me? I'd love to go, but I just got married. She doesn't want to go. We got, she's got this thing with that person, and there's. Oh, it's just, yeah, sorry, count me out. Yeah, I'd love to, but count me out. That's ridiculous. Some guys are hitting their wives right now. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> the point is, you're going to make invitations at some point in your life in ministry. And people are likely going to turn you away. And they're probably going to have an excuse for why they don't want to go with you to church or to a life group or to an event like a comedy night. And we're going to learn about what happens when these excuses come to the surface and when people say no. Verse 21 The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. Circle that word and ask yourself why. Why is the master furious? Why? Is he upset about the excuses? Is he upset that he's being turned down or turned away? Is he upset that He's put a lot of work into this and and they're not coming. What is it? We're going to come back to that and and we're going to investigate that together why I believe he's furious. And he tells his servant, go quickly into the streets. Go into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor. I want you to invite the crippled. I want you to invite the blind. And I want you to invite the lame. What Jesus is representing here, friends, is a a change from socialites to those who have been marginalized, mistreated, and misplaced. The master doesn't say, well, go and double, double back with them and really try to convince them. The master has a a sense of of, of severity in the situation and obligation and and, and excitement and he's furious at the situation and so he says, go, go quickly. There's a sense of urgency here. Go quickly into the streets. Go into the alleys and go from town to town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go, go to the marginalized. Go to the mistreated. Go to the misplaced. Go to the misrepresented. And I would ask you the question that begs to be asked is when was the last time you were intentional about going to the marginalized, about going to the misplaced, about going to the misrepresented and the mistreated? Most people, I venture to bet or guess would be discouraged at the lack of response from the invitations. But this this master is enthusiastic about this. And look what happens in verse 22. The servant apparently goes and he searches the streets and the alleys and the towns to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And he comes back and he reported, there's still room for more. So his master says, go Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. He says, go into the country lanes and go behind the hedges and urge anyone you find, urge anyone you come across, urge anyone in your path to come so that the house will be full. I wanna give you the big so what right up front so that we can begin to investigate that. The big so what today for the message, so what? What's it there for? What do we do with it? What now? Is that at my church we go because there's still room at the table. At my church we go because there's still room at the table. I want to I want I want to I want to say that I think that the the master here was furious not at the excuses. Though that can be discouraging but I want to say that this represents what is known as a holy discontent. He's furious at the situation and what it represents. If there is anything in ministry that makes me furious there are two things. The first I've talked about over the last 11 months, and that is people who choose religion over a right relationship with Jesus. Because religion has never saved anybody. But a relationship with Jesus changes everybody. The second thing that makes me furious is what I think the master is experiencing here, and that is, I believe he's looking at the circumstances surrounding the situation, and he's saying, I put a lot of investment into this banquet. A lot of money and energy, emotional investment has gone into preparing this banquet so that people can come and be a part of this, And he's looking at this as an opportunity not to worry about those that have all the excuses and the reason in in the world not to come. But he's looking at this and he's furious because he sees that there's still room at the table. And as long as there's room at the table, he's willing to go to whatever lengths are necessary to reach people and bring them in. Friends, I want to let you know that I share that sentiment I see a deep need for us to go and reach the misplaced, the marginalized, the mistreated, and the misrepresented. And not just that, but listen then. The, the, the servant comes back and he says, I've, I've shared that with everybody. Here they are, and there's still room at the table. And the master says, Go again. Go to the far distance, go to the the dirt roads, and I want you to go to the hedges, and what he's saying is, I want you to be aware, I want you to be vigilant, I want you to be diligent, I want you to be intentional at looking for people who need to come and encounter what I'm offering. I want you to go on purpose and look for those who don't even know that the invitation is there. And this reminds me of my first aid training, that it's often the people who are in the greatest trouble that don't know they need help because it's too late when they realize it. And so when I was going through the training, I was taught to be aware, to be vigilant, to be intentional, to look for opportunities to go and address the needs where the needs were immediate and to try to be proactive in addressing the needs before they became a crisis. This man is furious that there's still room at the table. He put in a lot to get ready for this banquet and he wants to fill it. Church, I, I share this holy discontent. I have a holy discontent in me that looks at any empty chair as an open opportunity. People in the church might look at empty chairs and take it as an opportunity to to assume things on us or to criticize or to be discouraged but for me I look at an empty chair as an open opportunity that there's still room at the table There's still room at the table and as long as there's room at the table, we have a responsibility and one of the four core values that will drive us is as long as there's still room at the table, we are going to go. We are going to go into the streets. We are going to go into the alleys. We are going to go into the dirt roads. We are going to check behind shrubs and bushes. We are going to go to great lengths to see to it that people hear about Jesus That is what we are responsible for. That is what I am committed to. And together, I believe with all of my being, that when we take our responsibility serious to go, to go to the streets, to go to the alleys, to go to the dirt roads, and to go to the shrubs, And we invite people to come and encounter Jesus in a community together that their lives will never be the same again. We will begin to see the chairs filling up with people because lives will be changing and we'll have to create more services and more opportunities because as long as there's room at the table, we have to keep going. And I believe that Jesus teaches about these types of tables. And until he comes, there will always be room for more. Let's look, at, let's look at the significance of how this man tells his servant to investigate. He says, go to great lengths, including looking behind bushes, looking behind shrubs. When was the last time you accidentally looked behind a shrub? Can we all agree that that just doesn't happen? You might accidentally fall into a shrub, but to look behind a shrub means you have to bend down and pick up the low hanging branches and pull it up to look around there. And that is the illustration that we have, my friends, is that we are called to go and intentionally look at every turn, in every opportunity, to invite people to the party. Many of you know that my wife and I are celebrating our 15th anniversary. And as part of our celebration, we got away on vacation. The last stop uh, along our our trip was in North Carolina. And we lived in North Carolina for two and a half years. And so we were very familiar with the communities and kind of what to expect. But when you're not there for nine plus years, you kind of forget some things. So one of the things we did on vacation is we went and played putt-putt golf. Because I don't sit around well. And and so we're playing public golf and as we show up there's a sign that says beware of alligators and snakes. Okay. We started playing and at the the the, the front or excuse me the back of the front 9. You like how I said that it makes me sound like I'm a professional. <laughs> the back of the front 9. I was looking over the side of a rock wall. Somebody drew my attention to it, and as I leaned over, there's a hole the size of a pop can, and about three inches sticking out of that hole is a copperhead snake. Now I don't know what you know about copperheads. When we lived in 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 North Carolina, we had a, a, a beagle, Shelby, that thought they were toys. She would go play with copperheads, kill them, and then bring them to the front porch. So we had to teach our kids that no snake is a good snake. They're all bad. In fact, let's just go on record and say that together. No snake is a good snake. All right? I want to tell you that when I saw that copperhead, it changed the way and the speed in which I played golf for the next nine holes. I would go from hole to hole with my golf club and I would literally pick up the bushes because that's where they would lie. I would pick up the bushes and I would look around. I'd drop the ball, hit it and say, let's go. (laughs) I was intentionally aware of my surroundings and I was vigilant about checking what was laying around. That is the word picture that Jesus draws for us when it comes to finding people to invite to the banquet that we need to be aware and intentional, willing to lift up the branches to look for people. Jesus talked about this throughout his life and ministry. In fact, would it surprise you that the last known recorded words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven had to do with finding people and inviting them to the celebration? In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. If you were here four weeks ago when I talked about our identity as a church and I talked about the Samaritan woman, I, I had a map up on the wall and I, I talked about the significance of Samaria and how Jesus on his way from Jerusalem on his way to Galilee passed through Samaria. This is a word picture that Jesus knew they would know well. The types of ministries that take place in your own house, in your own backyard, in your own community, in your own nation and beyond. Jesus made it a priority He made it a priority that we intentionally look for people to invite to the celebration. And I want to do the same thing this morning. I want to tell you that this matters so much to us. We have gone to great lengths as a staff and as a leadership team and as volunteers to address the need for us to go as a church. We've done a lot of really cool things as a church in the last 11 months. But we haven't yet done an outreach event and we, we're taking care of that this, this coming week. We, we have, I want to share four ways, four practical ways this morning that each one of you, every single one of you can adopt as your own to go and to invite people to the banquet. The banquet being an opportunity to come and encounter Jesus so that their life too will change forever. The first is what I talked about last week, that it as you exit our doors, on the right-hand side is a connection wall. It's what we call our yes wall right now. There's some, there's some uh, twine hanging with some clothespins, and on those clothespins are these cards. These cards represent four areas or four categories of the church. They represent our hospitality ministry, like the card I have now in my hand that is all about our coffee bar. They represent our children's ministry. They represent our youth ministry. And they represent our creative arts ministry, which is what you see up here as we celebrate together. What I invite you to do is to consider your time, your treasure, and your talents. And to, as you leave today, go and pull one of these cards down of an area of the church that you're interested in being involved with. And on the back, there's just three simple things. They want your name, your email, and your phone number. The bottom has your blood type, your bank account. Your so- oh, <laughs> D- Different card. They, three things. Name, email, and phone number. I just encourage you to grab this off, even if you're just interested in learning more about it, and put it in the bucket that's out there, and one of the key ministry departments will contact you and and, and fill you in. But this is one way that you can go and make a difference with your time, your treasure, and your talents is by getting involved here locally. Another one is through our comedy event that we have coming up this Friday and Saturday. We have invited in Mike James and Brian Kohatsu. Mike is uh, an internationally recognized and celebrated comedian, Brian has many accolades here nationally as well. We worked really hard to put this together as an opportunity, as an opportunity for you to not only come and encounter a family-friendly comedy event for the night with your spouse or your friends, but as an opportunity for you to go into our community and invite people to the celebration. We We have priced this at... Uh, such an affordable price so that you can go, but it's just to help offset the cost of the event. $15 will buy you a single ticket, but here's what I want you to pray about and consider. We intentionally set it up to where if you buy a book of 10 tickets, you only pay $120. And the idea then is that you or you and your spouse would take the other eight tickets or nine tickets or however you have left, however many you have left, and you would use this as an opportunity to go into the streets Go into the workplace, go into the community, and invite people to come with you. People who wouldn't normally come with you on a Sunday morning, but would come to a comedy event with a guy who has won multiple, multiple awards, who's been featured on shows that it's likely these people are watching. Jimmy Fallon, the late night show, before that Jay Leno and Sirius XM and all kinds of stuff. Would you please prayerfully consider buying your tickets and making this an opportunity to invite people to the table? The third that I wanna share with you is our continued involvement with Help for Houston. We stepped into the lives of countless people, really, a few weeks ago when we did a series entitled A Call to Christians in the Face of Calamity and I invited my friend Chris Harrison to come out and to, to share with us. Since then, we've raised thousands of dollars, literally thousands of dollars. And we've already had our first work crew go out there to begin to establish relationships and to invest in people and to take supplies. But our work is just beginning, and so this is now going to the to the dirt roads and to the to the brush. This is outside of our community, but it's an opportunity for us to go and invite people we don't know to the party, invite people we don't know to the banquet, invite people we don't know to come and encounter Jesus so that their life too can be changed forever. So I want to let you know that this week, the 20th through the 23rd, we have a group of people that are already committed to going back to Houston, and they are going to take with them sheetrock and other building supplies, and they're going to go into Houston's Fifth Ward, very low-income community for the Hope House, which are people that are, it's essentially a halfway house for people who are recovering, people who are in need of jobs and homes that were decimated by this, this storm. The thing that most of us wouldn't realize is that most folks are still living in these homes. The walls have been stripped of sheetrock to help prevent mold, but the mold is still there, the bacteria, and they're living in this condition. And so we want to go and we want to provide hope. So we're going to send a group of people that are interested in skilled in building. And you can still be involved if you're interested at all. In learning more about how to get involved, can I encourage you to, to come and see one of our staff members, and they'll direct you to the right person. Our staff members have these lanyards around their neck with a picture and, and an ID that represents that they, they should know something. <laughs> but we have an opportunity to continue to partner with, with you. I, I just learned today, actually, that we actually gave away 35 uh, pencil sharpeners, Bostitch electric, pencil sharpeners to Coulter Elementary School or Middle School that doesn't sound significant to us but those those pencil sharpeners are $100 a piece and we were able to work out a deal with Bostitch and call them and we were able to provide an electric pencil sharpener for each classroom that would have cost the school $3,500 that they don't have that's because of your commitment to going and then the fourth to the ends of the earth this afternoon ladies this is for you specifically Next year, this time, next year, our women are going to take a mission trip to Nicaragua, the same site that our students go to, with Students International. And the women have an opportunity to continue the work that our students have begun by serving the community, the clinics, the children, the single mothers, the marginalized, the misplaced, the mistreated, the misrepresented women women of our church you have an opportunity and i would even argue an obligation to go and make a difference and so today at twelve thirty after our next service there's an informational meeting in our fellowship hall right out the back doors take a right and then a left and our fellowship hall is just right there but it's another opportunity for you to go but here's what i want to leave you with today The work has been prepared. We've been working really hard for a lot of months now to prepare the, the ministry that God's called us to here. We've been working hard to prepare volunteers. We've been working hard as a staff to put together opportunities for us to equip you and encourage you. We've been working hard at our celebration services to create an environment where people not only can, but want to come in and encounter Jesus. That when they encounter Jesus, their lives are changed forever. But here's what we need. In order for us to begin to realize the vision and the mission that Jesus has called us to, through the unique identity that he's given us as a church, that at my church, we're a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are change forever. Every one of us has to take it upon ourselves and accept the responsibility to go. Now, I asked you to circle the word excuses, and I told you we'd come back to that, and I do want to spend a minute on that. A lot of times we're afraid to invite people to the party because we're afraid of their excuses. We're afraid of being turned down. Would you be shocked if I told you I've been turned down a lot in my life? <laughs> but what that does is instead of detracting me and deterring me, it fuels a fire in me. It drives me to want people to experience and encounter what it is that we have. Jesus. And I think we do what we do here in an amazing way we do relationships in an amazing way we offer equipping classes in an amazing way we have an amazing youth ministry we have an amazing student ministry we have an amazing life group ministry we have an amazing celebration service three of them in fact on Sundays 8 9 15 and 11 we have amazing opportunities that we've created for you to use as an opportunity to go and invite people to the banquet. So my question isn't if you're gonna go, my question is twofold. Where are you going this week and who are you inviting? None of us should be asking ourselves if we're gonna go or if we should invite somebody. The question is where are you going this week and who are you inviting? As long as there's still room at the table, and I told this to our first service, and I'll tell it to you, and I'll tell it to our next service, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. As long as there's an empty seat or room in the worship center for another seat, I won't relent. I can't relent. It's too important. At my church, we're a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are change forever, and that happens through gathering, that happens through growing, That happens through giving. And that will all be realized when we accept our responsibility to go. And so, Father, that is my prayer. That is my prayer that this week we would do exactly that. That with which you have called us to time and again. That we would go. That we would go to our communities, that we would go to our friends, to our family, Father, that we would go and we would invite people to the party.